2: Good morning and welcome to yet another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You're tuned to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa. I'm your host, Tracy, and we're currently on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-metre band to Southern Africa.
3: Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa, and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge, and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world.
1: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchema.
0: Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonye in Mombasa.
1: For Channel Africa, I am Kumbara Mnjore in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa. Jean-Noël Reporting for Channel Africa
3: from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
2: We have great news for you, Channel Africa has gone mobile. If you have a cell phone, you can now download the mobile app for Android. You can get it on Google Play. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspectives. African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You're also welcome to interact with us via Twitter at Channel Africa, Facebook, or you can simply SMS your views to plus 27796957930. If you want to email us, you can do so at info at Channelafrica.org. The 27th of April marks the day South Africa held its first free democratic elections. Before then, students around the country marched against the use of Afrikaans as a medium. They demanded to use their own languages. Now Dr. Hlesi Kunju, a doctoral graduate, wrote his doctoral thesis in his home language, Isikosa. This has been deemed a breakthrough in the education system of the country and presents a glimmer of hope towards the decolonization and transformation of the education system. To talk to us more about this, we are joined on the line by Dr. Tlezi Kunju. Good morning.
1: Uh, good morning, Tracy, and good morning to your listeners as well. Thank yeah. you, and thank you for inviting me.
2: And we also have Dr. Kim Walmack, the Director of Language Centre at Stellenbosch University. Good morning.
3: Yes, good morning, and good morning to everyone listening in.
2: So perhaps let's allow Dr. Kunju to tell us a bit more about his passion for African languages.
1: Uh, Well, well, my question is, okay. Uh, Well, I think, well, our languages are very important, of course, but uh, it comes from being not uh, able to use the language. Okay, uh, maybe firstly from uh, the country education where uh, everything was taught in my own language, and then moving on to uh, Rhodes University, which was historically um, a white university, and now they're having to now learn everything in English, including uh, isiXhosa. I had to learn now isiXhosa as well uh, in English. So I think that was sort of a cultural shock that started. That when I started questioning, you know, why must I use? You know, why must I express myself in the language that I don't understand, fully understand while I have a language that I fully understand and very used to? Uh, So I think that's where uh, the question, you know, came from. And also, you know, in, in schools, uh, and our parents as well encouraged us to use uh, English and other languages because they, you know, they said there's more, you know, there will be more job opportunities if we have English and not so much. It was because it was just a conversational language to be used at home and so on, and nothing else, and nothing more. So I think, uh, you know, that quite hurts, you know, you know, to see also uh, learners, you know, not seeing value in their own mother tongue language, and I thought, you know, let me, you know, take this a little bit further. I think that's where my session comes uh, partly from.
2: Now, why did you decide to write the thesis in Isikosa? Uh
1: Well, number one, because it's my language, and I really felt like it needed to be, uh, it needed to have the recognition it deserves. And uh, number two, talking about transformation and decolonization and so on. So I've thought it more. You know, it is the right time now to, to start, you know, using Isitosa in the academia and publishing in Isikosa. And number three, I was writing about the Kosa people of Zimbabwe. And uh, I, I don't have anything written in Isitosa about them. And they've been there for more than a century and a decade. And there, there aren't a lot of people in the Eastern Cape, uh, the closer people who know about them. Some who know that they still exist. Uh, there's just rumours that someone took them in the 1800s and went to kill them somewhere. And that's where it ends. So, I, you know, I feel like, you know this is uh, knowledge that deserves to be uh, accessible by closer people in the Eastern Cape. Uh, uh-huh. And also, uh, the most of the literature that's in this is, is oral uh, literature that come from the people of Zimbabwe and other, you know, it was only uh, proper for them to tell their own stories in the language that they understand more and also, uh, you know, make the thesis a space for them to tell those, those stories and also be able to access, and their generations as well, to be able to access those stories in their own language.
2: Now, was there not a challenge of the assessor of the thesis? Uh...
1: Yes and no. All right. Because, you know, well, for PhD, uh, you know, you have to have an international accessor and so on. Yes, so that was a big challenge. We had found an accessor accessor in, um, uh, I think, one of the universities in Harvard, I think, but she... She didn't have a PhD, so she couldn't access uh, a work that's not, you know, uh, a PhD standard. So we had to get a special permission. I think that happens as well for other subjects, uh, for certain subjects as well, that all the accesses be uh, from South Africa and not uh, from uh, uh, overseas. So that was a challenge. Uh, but for, supervisor, for, uh, for supervising, you no, know, the challenge was in there because I well, worked with Professor Kashila, was one of the sort of... Top scholars in the in the in the country, and also in the who's internationally recognised as well as the father of technology, and worked as well. I mean, with a lot of people in the African languages, and and specifically Dr. Charles Zvini really in the African languages. So, at that, the challenge was. It was more about the uh, the the the. the, 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 the I still we lots of uh, very top. Academics in the in the African languages in South Africa who are interne- uh, internationally recognised as well. So, in that regard, yes and no. <laughs> yes. Okay, so, uh, Dr. Womack, on
2: that particular um, question about the challenge of assessors of the theses. Um, yes. you, you know, w- Dr. Womack what um, you, you know? What is your view on that? On on writing it in your own home language.
3: Well, the first thing I'd like to say is um, I'd like to congratulate uh, Dr. Lazy. I think he's done an amazing thing. And he is ready to be congratulated on on being at the forefront of something quite new. Um, I think when one looks at the feasibility of something like this, of accessing higher education in um, African languages, one has to look at the reason why one would do it. And I think... You spoke very well about that, saying, you know, it's it's about passion, but it's about access, it's about recognition. So those things are those things are very important because language is a very powerful tool for transformation. I think South Africa has known that, um, you know, ever since its existence. So that's really really important. Um, but you need the will and you need the the, the institutional support. So. At the Stellenbosch University Language Center, we have that kind of support, but it is extensive. In order to be able to do something like this, you do need a lot of support. You need to be able to provide um, different types of services in several languages, and that's really, you know, that that takes a lot of commitment. Um, So when one looks at feasibility, um, you've got to look at, firstly, why do it? Um, And then a tertiary context, um, any language policy must always sup- serve the institution and help to broaden access. Um, so you spoke, for example, about giving access to people in Zimbabwe and in the Eastern Cape who hadn't heard these types of stories before. So there's a really uh, an important reason for one to to um, write the thesis in it closer. But um, one can't always do that. That's the problem. So when you look at feasibility, you have to see, does it serve... Does it broaden access to knowledge? And if you answer that question, then things become a lot easier.
2: Now, do we have the capacity in our universities and our tertiary education facilities to offer this? I think it
3: depends at what level one offers multilingual support or one uses languages. So uh, this was at PhD level where I think the logistical issues are not that complicated. Um you know, you. This is an this is in, an individual's research, so you need to be able to have it adequately assessed at PhD level. But it's when you start looking at at lower levels, at at undergraduate and postgraduate level, then you need to start um, considering what types of access you need. It's in terms of capacity, you need terminology, you need trained translators, um, you need trained assessors, you need lecturers. But everybody has to work together. So that's the most important thing. Um, you know, people often don't sort of underestimate the the amount of work that's already been done in South Africa. You know, we've had a, a language. Uh, you know, we've had a um, language policy at higher education level, which says we need to support African languages. We've had that since 1997. So. I think we need to move forward now. Um, it's really, it's really an important thing, but we also need to always keep in mind that are we serving the purpose? Are we broadening access to education or not? So, one also has to look at aspects like um, how would a PhD be disseminated? So, yes, um, this PhD has been as allowed access. To people for people in it's possible. but what about all the people internationally who are interested in the topic there one has to look at aspects like translation or possibly a podcast or maybe publishing an article in an international language so that it is um more widely available or possibly even in a in a cross-border language you know um so you know, we can't just, we, we can't look at only one aspect. We have, look, have to look at
2: several aspects. Okay, well, we're just going to take a break, and then we will be returning.
0: This is Channel Africa, South Africa's
1: international radio station on shortwave internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Namu, kwenye laini asemo hevisasa na nyunga mondia kwa mondia.
2: Parafina. Parafina. Terre du
0: soleil.
2: Kia makande emvalelwa kina
0: miriam. Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África a voz de Renascença Africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Auckland Park, cidade de Johannesburg, África do Sul. Mo África,
1: informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African
0: perspective.
2: So on the program today, we look at the possibility of studying tertiary qualifications in your mother language. And on the line, we've got Dr. Hlaesi Kunju and Dr. Kim Womack. Now, Dr. Womack, we were busy talking about the challenges that we have. But now also um, to both of our uh, the people on the show today, what about if we have to introduce the home languages or the mother tongues at an earlier age, would that not also be beneficial? Dr. Womack? Well,
3: absolutely. Um, You know, linguistically speaking, the best is is to be able to access schooling in your own language. But I think one of the things we need to think about is that, you know, it's not an either-or situation, you know. Yes, let's introduce those languages at an early age, um, and that has always been the case, um, but let's look at all types of schools Model C schools, for example um, You know, where the the, accessi- the the emphasis is on English But what, it doesn't have to be just English Let's look at additive bilingualism or multilingualism In other words, English plus the other language Then basically there can be a transition from one language to the other And not this absolute culture and language shock that can happen
2: Dr. Kunju?
1: Yes. Um, yes, Tracy. Uh, I think it is. Yes, uh, it has to start. I think the government has been trying to do that uh, to make sure that the schooling system happens. You know, you access uh, uh, education in your own mother tongue. For so, but I, 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 I think it's struggling to take off. And now, because I'm in the uh, higher education institution, I will say it's our uh, responsibility as academics to make sure that happens in the higher education, I mean to make sure that we produce, we produce in the education, in our own education department, we need to produce teachers that can give education in mother tongue. We need to prepare because I think the government when they started, there wasn't enough um, uh, people to teach or to, and so on. So I think in the higher education system, we need to, uh, to make sure that we produce teachers that can uh, offer that type of education. So I think it is the, uh, our responsibility as, uh, as, uh, as academics. Now, Dr.
2: Kunju, what challenges did you face while you uh, were doing the theses?
1: Uh, as Dr. Uh, has uh, highlighted that, you know, we need terminology and, and, uh, and other things. So literature, of course, literature in is it academic literature specifically, is very uh, hard to find. I mean, that's, 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 uh, there's very little out there. So that was a big challenge, but you know I think um, that's the excuse that people have used for a couple of years, saying we can't use our languages because there isn't enough literature there, there isn't enough technology, there, isn't, uh, if was academic language out there. And again, I say it's our responsibility as academics, as academics, uh, to make sure that we produce that. Uh, we have to start somewhere. we have to start, in fact, where we are right now, in, in also with the capacity. Uh, uh, uh you know, to use African languages. We we shouldn't fold our arms and say we're waiting for translators, we're waiting for um other you know, other things. I think as in your as a lecturer, in your in your lecture room you should start engaging with other languages as well with just simple things uh, as having your slides in in both languages or in English and Setswana, or English and is it closer and so on, and start from there and start allowing students to use to express themselves in 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 the languages that uh, they are comfortable with and use other students as well, in fact that's what I do in my classes, you know, I, if I'm explaining something, I ask someone to explain it in Sichuan, I ask someone else to explain it in Africans, you know, start like that and have my slides in, in different languages and I think if we start there and then we will then we will encourage our students as well for postgraduate level to use African languages and as academics, uh, academics to produce and to, or, or to, 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 to publish in African language. Actually, that's what I've decided to do from now on, that from now on I will publish in Isikosa. Uh, I'll publish from the thesis in Isikosa and um, even in presenting in, in conferences, I will present in Isikosa. Maybe I might have uh, my slides in both Isikosa and English or the language that's um, uh, accessible in the place where I'm presenting. So, and I think the more the, the, in the, um, uh, school level, junior and high school. Level, when they see that something is happening in their higher education at universities, then I think that then they will start taking our African languages seriously. Because I think the problem there is that why should we use African languages at university? Everything is in English. That's what everyone knows in the in the junior schools and high school. So we need. In fact, uh, it goes as far as uh, in some schools where they don't allow. Uh, learners to use their African languages because they say at university we're preparing you for university where there's no African languages so I think that's what if now they see that something is happening at universities then the schools as well will start to respond will start using the African languages
2: now Dr. Kunju there's some words that really aren't in the African languages that are in the English language um, yes h- how would you try How how would you find those words You'd have to create these new
1: words. Uh, yes, um, I mean that's not some, that's not new at all. It's always happened since uh, the interaction, since the beginning of the interaction, uh, interaction between the languages, uh, you know, and also that's also in. English as well the English has borrowed a lot of words from other languages and also in itself has developed as well because of uh words from from English or, or other kinds. you know i always make uh, simple examples but uh we didn't have a, a table before and then but when we had you call the tassel and then we phonologize That word is oh, uh, oh, and so many other words that are now is closer So I think the same thing can still happen now in developing uh, isiKwasi. So yes, I did have those challenges, and um, for example, uh... uh I had to, I used both there, I said, in methodology, phonologize, in music culture, and flesh, in jail, I only could You know, just to give, because I feel like this is one of the uh, beginning stages of academic uh, is it so I'd like uh, other uh, uh, academics to engage with it and see what works and what doesn't work and how can we move from here, how can we take this forward. So I've sort of used those, you know, sometimes used two words so that people can, you know, uh, engage with it and, and, you know, and start to see which one works more and develop the academic Isitosa. it closer.
2: Now, Dr. Kunja, tell us more about the Linguistic Centre and what you do there. Uh, you uh, mean the language centre? Um, oh. Sorry, are you... Yes, this, yes, yes, sorry. Yes.
3: Um, basically, okay. the University Language Centre is there to support the university in its language policy, which is multilingualism. So we use a lot of different types of technologies, not just, obviously, the standard contact classes. So we have podcasts, we have lectures in, in various languages, and we support um, lectures in... Um, with simultaneous interpreting as well, um, we have a reading lab, a writing lab, where you can access um, a consultant in your own language. Um, the languages we support are English, Afrikaans, and isiXhosa at this stage, and you know those are the regional languages in the Western Cape. So that's how you know that's how we see our role. Um, we also have a trilingual website which provides terminology which we've been collecting for quite a number of years. Um, in sociology, social work, psychology, law, economic and management sciences, and theology. It's not to say that that project is over, because terminology is a huge challenge. And I think the one word of caution I would sound would be that everybody is doing this kind of work. uh, Well, not everybody, but most institutions um, in the higher education sector are doing some kind of terminology work. So we need to be very careful not to reinvent the wheel. Um, we need to have uh, terminologists get together and say, "Okay, so you've been using this term. What am I using?" Because otherwise, if we keep just using loan words, it, it's not going to be very rich. We need to have the loan words plus the explanations plus, you know, real, real pithy words that really mean something. Um, so that that needs consistency, and for that, we need we do need terminologists and we do need trained translators. This is not something that everybody can just do. Um, one of the things I always say is, you know, if you have two hands, it doesn't make you a pianist. If you have two languages, it doesn't make you a translator. So, you know, we need we need to approach all of this with, a, you know, a proper methodology and make sure that we use focus in what we do. Um, but I think it takes the will of the people more than anything. It, it's It's not just about money. It's not just about can we do it. Of course we can do it. Um, any language can express any concept. Whether it expresses it in a slightly longer way or a shorter way is is a different issue. I mean, English chose not to use the Roman alphabet for numbers um, because it was just too long-winded. And, you know, possibly that would be an issue to look at in African languages, you know, because one might find that, that, that system quite cumbersome. But all of that stuff can be, can be uh, surmountable. It really can. Um, but we also need to take time and we need to have the patience to make sure that it happens.
2: Now, if we were to start now, roughly how long do you think we may need to take to translate everything into African languages? Okay, that's that a very
3: <laughs> difficult question to answer. I think we're not starting now. So that's point number one. Um, I would not be able to say how how long it would take us. But if you look at other countries and how they've worked, um, it takes a number of years, but it's possible. You know, for example, with um, the establishment of the State of Israel, uh, modern Hebrew basically needed to have everything translated. And that took a number of years, but it was done. So... Yeah, um, it would take time though,
2: (laughs) it really would. Now Dr. Kunja, the same question to you, about roughly how long do you think we could take?
1: (laughs) Sure Uh, I, I mean I think that's well, I'd i just say uh, well, I think that's a lifetime. You know, that's we need to keep going. I think because the is language and culture, they develop all the time. They don't. They're not. The uh, culture is not uh, uh, standing in one place. It's it's moving. So I think as the culture develops and language develops and the process as well will also develop. So it's a process that will take a long time.
2: Okay. So then, how long did your thesis take?
1: Uh, it took me four years. It's very short. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it, well, it, it took me, I mean, I've, well, I found out about the people in 2010, uh, and then I I'd always had an interest. I did a little bit, but the, actually I registered in 2013 uh, for the tuition and started working. Uh, the first three years I spent mostly in the area, staying with the people, attending all functions and everything, and then the last year I was, it was mainly uh, writing. Okay. So, so, less visiting, uh, yes.
2: so now we we're looking at the, the whole issue of the translating of mm. into African languages, yes. but now looking at the assessments of students, who could mark and assess that? Well, Do- I
3: think if if one could look at an example of another um, thesis that was written in a different language. Um, in 2016, Wits University had a had a first, which was um, a deaf student mm-hmm. who graduated with her MA in sign language, and mm-hmm. her thesis was written in sign language. It was basically signed, not written. Um, and there, the marking and assessment was was a challenge because um, she had a, a supervisor with an, with a linguistics background who could not sign. And there, one had to involve interpreters. And one also had to get the institutions buy-in as well. But, you know, so who will mark and who will assess? I think we need to be creative and innovative. Um, Mm -hmm. Just as it's possible to present your proposal in a sign language video, um, it must be possible to present your thesis in in, in an African language, I believe. Um, I don't know what you think, but, I mean, you've done it, so you know that it's
1: possible. Yes, no, definitely. Uh, uh, Yes, no, I think so. And I think uh, it should be also, our institution should also take a stand there uh, in maybe if it it means translating the whole thesis before or, or maybe translating chapter by chapter as it's being done so that it can, you know, maybe go outside, I don't know. If it means that, then I think we should do that. Uh, But also, you know, with the cult, when you're writing about, you know, you can speak the language, you can understand the language, you can write about the language, but if it's not yours, I mean, the language goes beyond just the talking and communication. It's it's culture, you know, there's a culture. You know, there's some things that are embedded in culture that you will, there are things that you understand only if you know about that culture. So I think that's a a big uh, challenge there, but We need to produce academics uh, um, got decolonized minds who who will know that uh, um, knowledge as much as uh, the knowledge that's there. There's more knowledge from the African people that we need to, you know, need to go further into, you know. So I think we need to really uh, start, you know, um, uh, training academics, you know. A new generation of academics who will really take this seriously, who will really look at Producing new knowledge from the African, uh, from the African point of view, from the African people, because I always say there's still so much. Uh, that hasn't been uh, done in the, lang- in the African language in Africa. There are so many African stories that haven't haven't been told. You know that deserve to be told. That deserve to you know go into the body of knowledge. For example, the people of uh, who are in Zimbabwe. You know there hasn't been much. They've been there for 116 years, and there hasn't been anything. You know there hasn't been much done for those people. And with what I've done, I mean I did a lot of uh, uh, data collection. But I've only managed to use, for this like, only 20% of that data for this uh, for these people because there's just so much uh, to tell about those people, so much about their culture, so much, you know, even the, the history itself. There is so much uh, that needs to be told about how they left the country, and so that I couldn't cover all that because I was mainly focusing only on the language. So there's so much on on Africa that needs to be told, and and I think that needs. Uh, 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 African academics who will really go beyond that, who will go beyond the the language itself, that go into the culture and so on.
2: Okay, so we are going to come mm. back now. We're just going to take a short break.
1: This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Good news for our listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605 1711 So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605 47
0: Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective.
2: So on the program today, we're looking at the possibility of studying tertiary qualifications in your mother language. Joining us, we've got Dr. Clare Zekunju, who wrote his thesis in Isikosa, and Dr. Kim Walmack, the Director of Language Center at Stellenbosch University. Now, my final question to both of you is that there's been a culture of mastering English all these years, but how important is it going to be to actually master African language and the promotion of one's mother tongues? Dr. Kunju?
1: uh yes uh um sorry can you sorry can you repeat that the last part of the question okay so it's how important sorry, there's so much uh sorry there's so much noise happening uh when when i'm not talking so i've been i've been missing quite a lot of what dr uh Wilmot has said whenever she's talking uh, there's, uh some noises come in but sorry uh sorry yes I-
2: no, no. Um, how important is it to actually master African languages yeah. and the promotion uh, of the mother tongue?
0: All right.
1: Okay. I Well, I. You know. I, I acknowledge that we are a multicultural society, and uh, multilingualism is really important. So, I'm um, not really on the, uh, you know, the mother tongue only. Or I'm saying, you know, all the languages of South Africa must be at the same level, must be treated the same. So, when we uh, try to elevate our mother tongue language, we shouldn't, you know, say, now let's uh, stop the other languages, or the other languages are not important. They are very important. So it is very important, also yes, that we uh, look at it, that elevation of African languages. In that sense, that you know, it's not just about the African languages; it's actually about the languages of uh, of, um, of South Africa. So. Uh, um, also, I mean, we're talking about also. We need capacity as well here, and also really, you know, people uh, are advocating the importance of African languages in uh, uh, in uh, junior schools, and high schools, in, you know, in the uh, as well as uh, at um, uh, higher institutions as well. And again, at, I think you know, academics here in the higher education and in the government have got a big role, you know, in in making sure that we master. Uh, the African languages produce material, a good quality uh, material in African languages, a good quality children's literature in African languages, and also produce good teachers that can uh, um, uh, assist in the mastering of the mother tongue uh, language.
2: Thank you, Dr. Womack. Yes, well, clearly we have to do
3: this. We do need to promote African languages. But we also need to have a different conversation, which is, who is our audience? So we need to think about the fact that we have very diverse student um, body, and we need to make sure that when we talk language, we're talking about broadening access for success, that we don't um, pay lip service to a type of ideology without thinking about how we're practically going to make things happen. How is language going to practically help student A or student B to pass. Uh, we can't just um, have the ideology. We know it's important. We know that we have to, um, that if we have, ac- have access to, to languages at tertiary level, it raises the status of those languages. And I agree completely with um, Dr. Slesi there, that if we have them at university level, it will, it, it is a, a very important symbol of the importance of a language, but we also need to be practical about it. We need to say, okay, so if we have a diverse student body, which languages? What types of support can we provide? Uh, what about foreign African students from other countries, not just South Africa? Um, you know, if, if, if you're more used to speaking French or Swahili, what happens then? You know, so it is a fraught question, um, and people will often say, well, can we afford to do it and my answer is what can we afford not to we cannot have this illusion that English only is what works on the African continent
2: we've got to the time now where we've got to wrap up the show Uh, So, Dr. Womack your final words I'd like to say we we need to go forward with this
3: Um, we need to do it carefully we need to do it with a lot of institutional support we need legislation in place to make sure that it happens um, and we need to train translators and interpreters as well as academics um, in order to make sure that we can promote language uh, language in uh, tertiary education.
2: Dr. Kunju, your final words on this topic?
1: Yes, I'd like to emphasize that we mustn't wait for something or we need to start where we are and start you know, producing material and do whatever we can in uh, making sure that this happens, that our languages are also elevated. Yes, we, as said we need to produce material in our African languages as well.
2: Okay, thank you so much to you, Dr. Kunju, and to Dr. Womack. Yes, thank you very, thank much, you very much. Thank, thank you very
3: much. Thank you for the opportunity.
2: Well, tune in again to Channel Africa to catch another informative instalment of African Dialogue. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. You are welcome to interact with us via Twitter handle at Channel Africa, Facebook, or you can simply SMS your views to plus 2782325905. If you want to email us, you can do so at info at channelafrica.org. We now listen to Baleka Ringo Madlingos.
0: Male mama Kaule za Male ka Ka ndi wena bu nilo Chuyanda za Male mama za ndi simoni Kaule Chuyanda Sasa uri You will me a man, and since you
1: This is Channel Africa,
0: South Africa's international radio station on shortwave internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa.